Welcome to the Hardware Asylum Podcast. In this episode, we look at how motherboards affect Kaby Lake overclocking, obscure hardware we wish we had another shot at, and a quick look at the EVGA ICX cooling solution. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia. With me today, I have Darren McKay. In last month's podcast, we talked extensively about the Rocket 88 deleting tool, which we use to delid a 7700K Kaby Lake. I followed up that review with a nice video on YouTube about the whole process, talking about how the top comes off, the process of applying the new thermal paste, and there's a very satisfying crack somewhere along in, in the middle. So if you haven't already, pause the podcast and go check out that video on YouTube. We'll wait. Are you back? All right. If you went to the video and perused through some of the comments, you may have noticed that I was testing on an overclocked chip at 5.2 gigahertz and at 1.25 volts. And a lot of people didn't believe that that was possible. And that's the Cabby Lake, right? Now it's the Cabby Lake. Which processor was that? The 7700K. 7700K. Nice. So now you used that on which motherboard? That was on the Z270 Classified from EVGA. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because... I know that you tested that processor extensively, not just because your numbers were good, but because you wanted to make sure that you were being consistent. Exactly. So at first I tested on air, I was able to get it up to 5.3, but it was overheating. It was going past 90 degrees centigrade. So I figured, hey, let's bring it out into the lab, put it on the phase and see how far I could push it. So you put it on the phase and what were the results? We hit 5.6 gigahertz at 1.46 volts. Now, this is kind of key because when I started testing the Asus Apex motherboard, which is a motherboard designed for overclocking, when I put that same processor on there, cranked it up using the BIOS to 5 gigahertz, it went 5 gigahertz at 1.46 volts. And that's the way that the motherboard pre-configured that processor to run. Interesting. Which seems like a lot of voltage, considering that I was able to do 5.2 at 1.25 volts using the classified port. That's a big jump. Why did they give you so much voltage, do you think? Stability? Some of it is stability. And when they tune these, the bias is at the factory. They look at whatever sampling of processors they have. And these processors might have been kind of crappy to the point where they needed to have like 1.3 volts to run reliably at the stock voltage. Now, that was just on the Asus motherboard, though. That was on the Asus motherboard. Now, I also was able to test a Z270X gaming SOC from Gigabyte. Nice board. Which is actually unreleased at the time of this podcast. But I was able to test one. This is the same board that they were using at CES for their overclocking competition. Oh, should we look for a review coming soon? We should. Nice. That board, I used that same processor, and default, it set the voltage at 1.32 volts. Wow, okay. And and that's at 4.2 gigahertz. Here we have three motherboards that handled my processor, which is a fairly good chip, I should say, 5.2 at 1.25 volts. And each one of these boards handles voltage differently. The classified is very conservative. I'm going to say I dropped that chip in there. It it sets it at 1.2 which is the stock voltage from Intel. That's what they recommend for that chip. Okay. Drop it on the Apex, it goes up to 1.3. And then, of course, when I manually overclock it and then just let the voltage handle itself, it goes up to 1.45, which is terrible. And the Gigabyte does the same thing, but it's even more voltage. And all this got me thinking that the motherboard is really playing heavily into how overclocking is handled with KB Lake, unlike with Haswell, where the motherboard had nothing to do with it at all. It was all based on how good that chip was. 
So motherboard selection sounds like it could be the dark horse contender, at least if you're planning on getting a serious overclock. Yeah, exactly. That might be why we see so many records with the Apex board, because they can control the voltage a little bit better. And that's something I noted in the review. Check the show notes for a link to that review. And the classified, I want to say, is like you put the chip in there and then you can do anything in the BIOS and it will auto adjust and it does it realistically and reliably to the point where when I put the chip on the phase, I didn't touch voltage at all. The board auto adjusted that voltage and went all the way up to 1.46 and it ran stable at 5.6 gigahertz. That's crazy. But then with the Apex, it was overvolting comparatively to the EVGA classified. And I found out what that was. Oh, in the BIOS, there is a base clock voltage compensation factor. And that's kind of a long name for the short name that they have in the BIOS. But there's a factor in there for when you change the multiplier, it will add a certain factor to the voltage to compensate for the frequency. Okay, that makes sense. That seems to be tied into the Intel Turbo Boost technology somehow. And they just add a factor to that to add more voltage to allow you to overclock to... 5 gigahertz or 5.2 gigahertz. The downside to that is also one of the main reasons for delitting is that it adds more voltage to the chip, which adds heat. So now we have 5 gigahertz not running on some chips that should because the motherboard is overvolting. And on other boards where it can't run 5 gigahertz because the board isn't giving it enough voltage. Instead of just relying on the motherboard to help you overclock, you need to start learning how to control voltage learn your chip a little bit better, and then also, I hate to say it, but pick the right motherboard for overclocking. Well, it sounds like it. Well, based on the boards that you've worked with, what would you recommend? I would recommend two boards right now. The Z270 Classified. It's a great solid board. It helps you overclock. I had great results with voltage with that, also with memory. And the other board, which I would say, if you can buy one, get one, the Asus Apex, the Maximus 9 Apex. Well, it sounds like the Apex is definitely what is getting the attention out in the heavy professional overclocking world. So definitely worth seeking out. And overclocking KB Lake, uh, what would you say? I would say definitely grab a KB Lake, either a 7700K or even one of the Core i3 models if you're on a budget. See what you can do. One of the interesting things about being a hardware enthusiast is that you happen to be that guy, that guy that can fix your computer or that guy that happens to be wearing an HP shirt and says, hey, that person knows about computers. I don't like working on other people's machines, but I do that just because if I go somewhere else, they may not get the same service. They may not get the same computer. and And I worry. For instance, before we started recording the podcast, we were replacing that DVD player in an old Dell machine, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I have friends and family members and we try to barter a little bit. So I might have an electrician that that will help me out and I'll work on their computer. And and we try to keep it even, even though sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Well, and this is... This is your mom's computer, right? Yeah, indeed it was. And, you know, it was a simple fix. We just had to upgrade an old aging CD-ROM, and I went ahead and bumped her up to a burner, which hopefully she'll use. So how did she get that machine? Because that's that's like a Pentium 4 Dell something. You know, that's the thing about being a hardware enthusiast that we sometimes forget. I mean, we have these shelves full of, you know, hardware that's frankly better than most people need. And so when we go to fix someone's computer— Sometimes what we pull off the shelf is 
way better than they probably need. And for us, it's extra. Like it's on the shelf because we don't have any way to use it, right? Yeah, and a great example of that is I had built my parents a beautiful machine based around the LGA775, which is the Core 2 Duo. And I had a great processor. And the only motherboard that I had available, and this was their previous system, was a P5WDH Deluxe, which is maybe the pinnacle of Asus LG775 motherboards. An amazing, beautiful motherboard that did everything. I mean, wireless access, the whole nine yards. So what happened to it? You know, that's the thing. So, uh, you know, my parents started to have some problems with slowdown that were maybe related to the age of the hardware, maybe not. And so what did they do? Well, they went down and they bought a used Dell. From like a local computer shop, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they got a great price on it. But what happens is you go from a older high-end machine that's based on premium hardware off the shelf of an enthusiast like yourself, if you're listening to this podcast, to a bare bones, lowest bidder Dell machine. Admittedly, you can buy those machines for like four or $500 and they're recycles that, you know, people cast them off. The thing that gets me is that we have basically a high-end machine that might've had a virus or something like that. <laughs> you know. That machine just gets donated and replaced with another machine that obviously can do what they, it is that they want to do, but they don't know the difference in that they just downgraded. So the new machine is also a 775 running on a little cheapy Foxconn Mm -hmm. and running off of whatever cheap video card. So what they basically did was they downgraded all of their components Mm -hmm. by thinking they were getting a new machine. Painful. Painful. And (laughs) believe it or not, I have a similar story. You know, I built a machine for my mom using an old freeway motherboard. Freeway design was this Taiwanese company that made some beautiful, beautiful motherboards. That was like the first motherboard I ever reviewed for Ninja Lane way back in the day. Right. And they sent me some of the other boards that they released afterwards. And this was the end of when they were making motherboards. Man, I tell you, they they made some pretty motherboards. In fact, motherboards in general just used to be prettier. And I'm kind of glad that that trend is coming back around. Mm-hmm. Although we have to pick up lighting with it now. Yeah, I got to pick up lighting. <laughs> I had these extra boards... And they were kind of what I would call trophy boards because they were the end of a generation for a company that not many people knew about or could get hardware from. And I figured, well, I can build a machine for my mom. When that machine gets old, she will call me and we'll upgrade it again. Yeah, and you get your stuff back. And I get my (laughs) stuff back and I can put it back in the box and say, hey, this is awesome. And lo and behold, I go over there one weekend and she has an HP machine sitting on her desk and I'm like, so what happened to the other computers? Oh, I donated it. Oh, no. Like, no. Hundreds have... of dollars of rare hardware gone, gone and to now... someone that doesn't appreciate it. So, of course, I had hoped to get the P5W Deluxe back because it was such an amazing motherboard. And I still have, Dennis, a box of the accessories they go with, the remote control, the antennas, the whole nine yards. But I do not have my P5WDH Deluxe motherboard. And you know, this is not the first time that I had a motherboard that was a bit of a unicorn that I didn't get the opportunity to get to its full potential. And I think as uh, hardware reviewers that this is something that we don't talk a lot about. So maybe in an effort to talk behind the scenes about some of the frustrations and failures that we've had, I have a story about a motherboard that I never got a chance to review that is similar to P5W Deluxe. Back in my earlier days in the LG775 arena, I got a motherboard from Gigabyte that's a bit of a white whale. 
It's sometimes called the Quad Royale. Quad Royale. You've told me this story several times because it's kind of irked you over the years. You know, that's the thing about these amazing pieces of hardware that are, yeah, I'm a little bit white whale, a little bit unicorn. And we've talked about before that as a hardware reviewer and especially an enthusiast, it's challenging sometimes to get this hardware and they're available for really limited windows. Mm -hmm. And some of them like the GA8N SLI Quad Royale motherboard are not just a unicorn for a reviewer, but they require a lot of legwork to properly review. Now this particular motherboard was cutting edge. It allowed you to have not one, not two, not three, but four, as you get from Quad Royale, video cards on it. And it used a kind of a cool, I guess it's a jumper card to let you set that up. Well, back in the day when you did SLI, you couldn't change the PCI Express lanes in the BIOS like you can now. They didn't have the switches for that. So yeah. you had like uh, the DFI board, the famous one that I had, it had jumpers and you had to move this jumper block over to split the lanes between the slots. This one used the card system, but normally the card is just, you flip the card over and then that's how it splits it. But right. you had two cards, two right? cards, right? So you could have that in the single card up to two, three, four. And you know, this is a card worth Googling and we might have to see if we can put a link in the show notes because this was during the heyday when the video cards were very colorful mm-hmm. and this one was packed with technology, it had one of the early boards on it. Uh, supported the memory, had an active fan for the North Bridge. I mean, just a great card. So I went through all the hassle, Dennis, of trying to come up with four matching video cards mm-hmm. so that I could give this thing the review that it deserved. And I went and got four of the 6600 GTXs, which was in that era, I think. Yeah, they were the inexpensive ones that you could still SLI. Right. And so, of course, as a reviewer, you want to try to get review products. So you try to get some high-end matched units to get this. And I got the cards, which was a little bit of a struggle. Something that we don't talk about very often is how difficult sometimes it is to get the hardware that you need or whether you have to go out and purchase it. And this was one of those moments where I was able to get, I think they were Power Color was the brand and so I was working with the guy on that and wrote some great articles on SLI. Now, the motherboard supports using the, the jumper card. And so I got these cards, the 6600 GTXs, and I put them in and fired it up. And oh no, Dennis, the thing that all reviewers fear, the smell of ozone and no boot. Yeah, I hate that smell. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it's very quick. Then you spend the next four days figure, <laughs> trying to figure out what it is that you did wrong. So as the case may be with a lot of reviews, we had a very tight window on this. So I paid a lot of my own money to ship this back priority to Taiwan in hopes of getting another Quad Royale. Did you get one? I did not. It didn't come back. So the sad thing that happens a lot, and Dennis and I have talked about this in regards to particularly video cards, because you get a small window of opportunity where this is a hot board, and they just make a limited amount of these unicorn motherboards. So the Quad Royale was past its window, even though I rushed it back to Taiwan, and they never sent me another one. And I never did do a Quad SLI review. In fact, I ended up uh, splitting those into sets of two, and I used them in two of my review machines. Yeah. To this day, Dennis, the Quad Royale, still the motherboard, that I occasionally peruse eBay and have never had an opportunity to pick one up just for old time's sake. Well, that's unfortunate, really. I want to talk about the motherboard a little bit more because this, yeah. this was during the time that Gigabyte did the colorful boards. Oh, yeah, beautiful. They still had the blue, the bright blue PCB, and then we have the uh, baby blue 
primary PCI Express slots and then the black slots on the outer edges, the very what, slot one and slot seven, those were the secondary slots. Yes. And then we have copper heat sinks on the North Bridge and the South Bridge. Yeah. South Bridge has a fan, um, a PADA connector, which is, you know, ATA, that was the thing back then. But then we also have four SATAs off of their proprietary controller, which was like SATA six or three. Yeah, the these time. were some of the early SATA threes and, you know, lightning fast. Mm-hmm. And of course, we had the, uh, the, the digital readout for the BIOS, and that was fairly new back in those days, and jumpers just everywhere. Oh, well, you have to have that. And then also 775 socket, so it basically it's turned, which it's different for this motherboard because normally the the clamping handle is vertical with the motherboard. This yeah. one was horizontal. Mm-hmm. And we only have, a, what, a four-phase power supply, which is strange considering that during this time, the power coming in to feed the CPU would also feed the PCI Express slot. Well, yeah, and you notice that it's got that extra 8-pin in there to provide the extra power, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, is one of those things that we used to complain about a lot. How do we run the cable to the middle of the motherboard to make it look pretty? Yeah, that you can't do that, really. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a very beautiful board. And, you know, before we recorded the podcast, I went and checked eBay real quick and no, we couldn't find any. Still no luck. One of these days, I'll pick one up, and my hope is that it'll be like a $25, $35 board that I will pick up, and who knows, maybe pull a 775 out and build a machine just to finally get it done. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we have friends at Gigabyte. Maybe they can find us <laughs> There you go. But, you know, it's one of those things. You just can't always get the review in that you want, and you do the legwork, you get the great hardware, and then something happens that's beyond your control. And yeah. it's just gone. Yeah. And I want to say I have several stories like that, but the one that irks me the most is the EVGA GTX 780 Ti Kingpin Edition card. Oh, now that is a bit of a unicorn. Yeah. That was well, a unicorn board. And I want to say I was one of two sites that got a review sample. Wow. I was really proud of that. And I even talked with Vince Kingpin at CES about the card and say, hey, so how would you overclock these things? And he kind of gave me the the quick little rundown, of course, guarding some of his trade secrets. <laughs> of course. And so when I got the card, I set out to do a, a basic review. So I did this standard air cooling review with the game benchmarks and stuff. And then the second part of it was going to be under liquid nitrogen and seeing how far I could push the card and see basically what I could get out of it. Now, this was the first Kingpin edition, wasn't it? When that, that was still one of those things that was not only cool because you knew you were getting the cutting edge, but novel because this is one of the first times that an overclocker not only endorsed the hardware, but was part of the design process. Correct. This was the very first time that they did that. And it was a special design. The, heat, the fan shroud, not the heat shroud, the fan shroud was clear. And then the heat spreader on the memory and the VRM was red and they were separated so that when you put the LN2 container on there, you still had a heat spreader on the VRM to keep that part cool, which it was unheard of at the time. Right. And it came with a decorative backplate with the little Kingpin logo on it. It was an awesome card. Well, I got this card all set up. I started clocking with liquid nitrogen and I couldn't get it to go to the frequency that it was supposed to. Oh, okay. Either... I was doing something wrong or the card was wrong or something. I couldn't figure out exactly what it was. So I go and contact EVGA. They put me in contact with Vince. Vince gives me um, a couple of pointers. I try it out. I still can't make it work. I arranged to send it back to EVGA. They replaced it with a card. 
And ironically, the card they replaced it with had a lower ASIC and it didn't clock the same even on air. Oh no, a downgrade. A downgrade. And I was, I was so bummed. And at this point I was a bit embarrassed and a little pissed off. So I'm like, well, crap, what do I do now? I was talking with Vince and he said, well, send it to me. So I send it back to EVJ. They send it to Taiwan. Vince goes and tests it. And then he basically, for the lack of colorful words, called me <laughs> a bit of a, a noob. and said, this is the best card I've ever seen. He claimed that he packaged it back up and sent it back to me. And it never showed up. Ironically enough, I was checking the hardware bot site and... Uh, Dan from Germany was posting some amazing scores with a GTX 780 Ti classified, and I have a feeling that he got my card. Oh, no. Not only did you lose it, but it went elsewhere. It went to another famous overclocker who was able to push it to the limits that it was designed for, and I was left with nothing. So I was a bit bummed. I still got the review, and by the time that I was able to try and get another card um you know evj had lost it because they didn't register it you know it's a review sample you don't need to register that. no and we don't tend to do that just because you never know how long you're going to have the hardware they had lost it they didn't have a record that they sent it to me and by the time i was able to try and get another one the next generation of cards came out so oh, i lost the opportunity that's yeah. a shame too because that is a beautiful card it was i still troll ebay trying to find one you know, just to get that one card that got away to try and push it to what it should have been. Yeah, and that's a shame, too. The one that got away in hardware, you'd never know. I think that the, every enthusiast has a story about a card that they wished that they had another chance at or want to throw more modern technology at or just, frankly, come on, Mom, give me back my motherboard. <laughs> so, folks, if you're listening to this, as an enthusiast, there's got to be something, right? That white whale, that piece of hardware that you wish you had back today. Maybe use a little more modern technology on it or just give it a second chance on the bench to see what you could do with it. In our last episode, we talked quite a bit about unicorn hardware or the hardware that got away. And sometimes as a reviewer, we do get the unicorn hardware. And I'm looking at a pretty cool video card here that I think fits that description of an enthusiast white whale or unicorn piece of hardware. This is a GeForce GTX 1070, which doesn't sound all that unicorny until we take into account what makes this one particularly special. This is EVGA's GeForce GTX 1070 with an ICX cooling system on it. Now, what does that mean, Dennis? What is this thing so special? This is like the third or fourth generation of their cooler design. And the previous generation is ACX 3.0, which introduced different fan controls and kind of a rehashed heat pipe system. ICX kind of takes that concept and really pushes it beyond. In the past, graphics cards had one temperature measurement. And that, okay. was, that was at the GPU. And that one temperature measurement would control the, the fans and how it would cool the heatsink. But that heatsink was mostly for the GPU, not necessarily for the memory or the VRM, which are massive heat producers on any video card. Now, this is a full double DIN design. So you guys will have to check this out on the forums. And there'll be a review forthcoming if there isn't already by the time you hear this. Mm -hmm. So this is a beefy card. It's heavy. It's heavy. Well, they reworked the heatsink, which cools the primary GPU, and then they also added 
a enhanced backplate. Nice. And this one is split into two pieces and it's cast aluminum. So it's not flat machine like it was before. So we have the EVG logo cut in here and then a couple of slots. This area is all dimpled and I'm, you know, pointing here on the radio, which you're not going to be able to see, <laughs> but this is the area that where the VRM is on the video card. So it's very solid and kind of dimply. So it adds to the surface area for additional cooling. Very nice. The part that's behind the GPU has a nice EVGA logo in the middle and some venting around the outside. Traditionally, with the backplates that you would get on the EVGA cars, there would be some heat pads behind the GPU that would transmit GPU heat to the backplate. The difference on the ICX is that we have thermal pads on the VRM, back of the VRM, the back of the GPU, the back of the memory, and the back of some of the control chips that control the VRM. So we're pulling heat back into that heat plate from a lot of different places. A lot of different places. And if we flip this over, we have two fans. These fans are now asynchronous, so they run independent of each other and in response to GPU temperature or VRM and memory temperature. Very nice. If that wasn't enough, the heatsink itself now has holes drilled in it. They're cross-drilled. So now we have some spots for the air to loiter and actually remove more heat from the GPU heatsink. And then under that, which is, you can't see, is another cast aluminum piece, which interfaces directly with the VRM and the memory with the same thermal pads to pull as much heat as possible off of that. Well, I have to point out that you haven't mentioned yet that this thing has, I think, five different heat pipes, which is way more than I'm used to seeing. Yeah, there's five heat pipes. Um, some of that is mostly just to pull as much GPU heat off of here as possible, but also that the fins themselves make direct contact with the heat spreader that's directly under it to help it dissipate. And the looks haven't been skimped on either. I mean, it's got a beautiful brushed aluminum pieces riveted onto it. It's got some nice, I don't even know what you call that. It almost looks like carbon fiber venting there. Yeah. Well, there's, um, this is translucent. So there's some RGB LEDs behind here that shine through. Oh, of course the LGB. I described some of the hardware pieces on it to help it cool. But in addition to that, there's also the Precision XOC, which will control these, the fan curves but it also reads from 10 different thermal sensors that are built into the card itself. Wow. One of them is the GPU, and that's the one that comes from NVIDIA. There's another sensor on the back side of the GPU. There's like five of them on the VRM, and then there's several of them around the memory for a total of nine. And those sensors, averaged together, will control the two fans. And also across the top, there are three LED lights one of them will show you the temperature of the GPU. One will show you the temperature of the memory. One will show the temperature of the VRM. Wow, very cool. And the highest temperature on there will control the color of that light. So when it's blue, it's normal color. When it's worked, it turns green. And when it's too hot to handle, you know, don't touch this stuff, it turns red. And at that point, it will kick the fan on and help it cool. So if the GPU is hot, then the fan closest to the I.O. connectors will spin to help cool down the GPU. If the VRM is hot, the fan closest to the power connector on the other side will start spinning to help cool that area. But, you know, if you know anything about heat sinks, you can spin the VRM fan and it will cool the GPU, but it also kind of pushes some air through to 
help cool that uh, heat spreader underneath. Well, definitely a sexy looking video card. And maybe we finally are reaching the pinnacle of what we can do with a 1070 as far as cooling performance, at least without involving the exotic cooling process. Yeah. So definitely check out the review that I'll have posted on Hardware Asylum for a little bit more information about this and some rudimentary testing. It's really hard to test thermals on a video card, but there is so much technology in this thing that it is almost borderline silly and excessive (laughs) at the same time. But I want to say with how advanced video cards are getting and how efficient the GPUs are versus what powers that GPU, this sort of direction is really where cards need to go because this is you know technology that was on motherboards for a long long time and now it needs to come into what actually powers your pc these days well i imagine that evga will start rolling this icx cooling system out on their 1080s maybe even their 1060s if they put it out at any super clocks actually you bring up a good point they is currently available on the 1060s the 1070s the 1080s, and the forthcoming 1080 ties. Well, there you go. If you want an advanced cooling system with all that technology built in and lights to boot, EVGA has got your number. So check out the EVGA video cards with that ICX cooling system and look for that review coming soon. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes on HardwareAsylum.com. Stay up to date on the latest at Hardware Asylum by subscribing to our RSS. Follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2017. Thanks for listening.